right, well, this morning we are in Luke 18. We're going to continue on in Luke. This will be actually the last sermon uh, for some time in Luke. This will take us two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, we are going to actually take a, a break, in, not a break, but we're going to shift gears and go to the Old Testament for a period of months to look at some things there because it is important that we uh, spend time both in the New and the Old Testament. But this morning we'll round out Luke 18 by looking at spiritual discernment and faith. Spiritual discernment and faith. So I would like for us to read. If you would, please stand to honor the Lord as we read from his word in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. Luke 18, 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understand none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. All right, so the first part, there's two distinct sections in this passage. And the first is the third foretelling of what is to come with Christ and the cross. Verse 31 tells us that it's just Jesus with his disciples, Jesus and the twelve. And he tells them again, as they are going up to Jerusalem, which is going to be the physical place of Jesus' trial and crucifixion, they're going towards this, this thing that Jesus has been driving towards as the will of God for many years now. And he says, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He doesn't give any particular passage, but what he says overall, overarching, is that all that was written about the prophets and the Messiah to come, which is Jesus, will be accomplished. And so if you've read much in the, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospels are written for different audiences and in different ways. And the Gospel of Matthew was specifically written to those that were Jewish and were seeking to understand how Jesus could be the, the Messiah. And so a great many passages in the Gospel of Matthew cite these Old Testament prophecies and say this happened to fulfill this prophecy. And this happened so that this prophecy might be fulfilled. And it just goes on and on and on all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's fascinating. And we could spend a lot of time with this, but I'm going to focus in on one particular uh, prophecy that is so astonishing. It is in Isaiah 53, because Jesus is speaking particularly about him going to the cross and how all that was said in the prophets about the Messiah going to the cross would be fulfilled. And so Isaiah 53 
is an astonishing passage. I'm going to read the whole chapter because of what it has to say for us. And that Old Testament believers and believers during the time of Christ that had studied the scriptures would have known this passage because it stands out so starkly. Isaiah 53. Who has believed, and and by the way, I'm going to give some commentary in the middle of this. I don't normally do that. I normally read the passage and then talk afterwards. But I'm going to explain what's going on here as we go. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him and no beauty that we should desire him. This is referring to the humble birth of Jesus Christ, of no account, poor family, no name town, nothing about him that is beautiful or astonishing. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus came first to his own people, the Jews, And they despised him, and they rejected him. They did not believe his message, and they did not accept him. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his words we are healed. This is directly talking about the cross that is to come, pierced for our transgressions, crushed, beaten for our iniquities. The, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, it was for our sins that these things happened, not his own sins, our sins. He stands as a substitute for us, and by his wounds we are healed. His life comes to us, and we are saved, and we are made new. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. We think directly to the trial of Jesus where he is accused and accused and accused and he never defends himself. He never speaks out. He is silent before his accusers. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, And with a rich man in his death, although he has done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So it speaks to the the innocence of Jesus, which is affirmed over and over during his trial. And yet he is crucified between two wicked men and laid to rest in the grave of a rich and wealthy man. It was a private grave dug for himself. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, as we're going to see more today. He has put him to grief with When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So speaking of the salvation that Jesus will accomplish by substituting himself for others, that others may be made righteous. 
Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So poured out his soul to death. It is clear that what the Messiah was going to do is going to die. That's going to become very important shortly. Well, in our time and in latter times, when people look at what actually happened with Jesus Christ and they look at this prophecy, Bible scholars have had to reach one of two conclusions. Either they believe that this really was a prophetic word given by Isaiah that is foretelling the future in very specific details, or they say, I cannot possibly believe that there is a God that knows the future. So this book of Isaiah had to be written later in time after the fact of Jesus' crucifixion because there's no way that a person could guess this. It's impossible. So it's either supernatural or it's not supernatural. And this is where we come down to so many, off, uh, so many times as we, as we preach through the scriptures. And so I am telling you unequivocally that the Lord God knows the future. And that's what prophecy is about is that these Old Testament prophets were given a word from the Lord saying a Messiah is going to come and it's going to be just like this and when they see Jesus hanging on the cross they say this is just like what Isaiah said 700 years ago how can this be possible well the only way it's possible is that God had a plan foreordained before the foundations of the world that he is carrying out according to his will in a mysterious way that is fascinating to us but causes us to worship the Lord and say God is incredible how could he do this how could he take the the actions of people who thought they were destroying Jesus and have it come about in the, the the victory of Jesus this is amazing this is astonishing only God could work something like this And so what we have here in our passage this morning in Luke 18 is Jesus himself just prior to the event affirming before his disciples that these things are going to happen. Everything that the prophets have said about me is going to happen exactly like they said it was going to. And he is also committing himself again to accomplishing the final purpose of his coming, which let me remind you, The final purpose of his coming was not to just heal people, was not to just teach good things, but it was to die on a cross and be a savior, to substitute himself for you and I that we might be saved of our sins. The cross was the final culmination, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These were the things, the purposes for which Jesus ultimately came. And he outlines very clearly to them what is going to happen. What does he say in verse 32? He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, Rome to be crucified. He will be mocked. He will be shamefully treated. We think of him being often in our, all of the depictions because it's so shameful it could never be depicted this way, but people were crucified naked. Jesus is stripped down, shamefully treated, insulted in every possible way, spat upon, flogged until as the as the, pro- as the earlier part of this prophecy in Isaiah says, he was unrecognizable. He was so bloodied and so beaten that he was unrecognizable. Ultimately, they will flog him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again to eternal life. Jesus lays it out there as clear as it can possibly be laid out. And when we read these things, it is so important for us to understand they're coming from the mouth of Jesus 
He's saying, I am going to do this for you. And this, we begin to grasp the incomprehensible humility and love of Jesus, that he would reaffirm that this is what he is doing, that this is what he is about. For our salvation and for his glory, this radical obedience to the will of God. But it is so important that we not overlook this or think that this is somehow easy. Because later on in the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And some months in the future, I'll end up preaching this full passage. But the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the great pivotal passages of the Bible. Because Jesus, in this passage, committing himself to this radical obedience, but when he gets right up to it, the true nature of Jesus is truly man, truly God. And none of us here could easily say, I'm going to just walk into this without this being a problem, to be spat upon, beaten, flogged, crucified. This is an extremely difficult thing. And so what does Luke record for us in Luke 22:41? He is there praying after the Last Supper with his disciples in verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What is the cup? It's the cup of suffering. It's the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But the thing here that's so important to see is that in the, the crucial hour of pressure, Jesus did not fail. Jesus accomplished all of the will of the Father. And he prayed and was strengthened by an angel in some mysterious way. Not my will, but yours be done. This is what all of us should be about in our prayers. Not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. And always it is going to be something that is hard. Always it is going to be something that is sacrificial and difficult, that we need to go to God in prayer. We need to be on our knees. God, help me to do what I know that you have called me to do. May your will be done in my life. And this is Jesus going before us in this way. And so he says, it will all be accomplished, and it was accomplished by his complete and radical obedience to God the Father. He goes to the cross. But what is interesting about this passage in verse 34 is it says they didn't understand it. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So there's a number of things. We're going to spend some time camping out here because this is, there's a lot that could be said here. The first thing about the disciples that I want to point out to you about this, there's three things I want to point out. The first is that the disciples didn't understand a lot of what Jesus said, okay? And there's, you and me also, there's a lot of what Jesus says, and there's a lot in the Bible that we don't understand. What were the disciples' responses to not understanding what Jesus said? Did they say, well, I gotta have a, you got to more fully explain this to me or I am out of here? And that was not what they said. They didn't understand. They did understand some things, and they did understand enough things, and those things they believed. And what they didn't understand, they kind of put in their pocket, and they kept seeking, and they kept following, and it's important to understand that the ministry of Jesus on earth lasted for three years. It was not a matter of weeks. It was a matter of years in following after Jesus 
unclear as to where he is going or unclear as to exactly what he was doing, but being convinced that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. I've seen enough here to know that he is for real, and I'm just going to keep hanging on, and I'm going to keep following, and I'm going to keep obeying, and I'm going to keep believing, and believing by faith that one day more of these things are going to be made known, and someday he's going to explain himself. And so there is a great lesson for us in that. We don't understand everything. You do know enough to believe in Jesus and to follow after him as your Savior, but you do not understand everything about Jesus. And there's a bunch of stuff I guarantee right now, question marks in your mind, like I don't understand what God's doing here or what he's doing there. But the lesson from the disciples is that we keep following, we keep seeking, we keep going after Jesus, even when we do not understand what he is doing. The second thing about this that is very important is that it is not hard to understand how this was mysterious, okay? Jesus is saying, he affirms them when they say, you are the Messiah, and then he says, I'm going to go die, and I'm going to be innocent, I'm going to be flogged, beaten, humiliated, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. And that's, how would they have understood that? How would they have seen deliverance in a dying Messiah? Even now, it's, it's contradictory, or it doesn't seem to make sense how it is that Jesus would lay down his life, and through that, there be victory. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something that always requires great faith for us to believe. They could not understand. They, they probably thought it was figurative that he would raise from the dead, when in fact it was true and real. It was the opposite of their expectations. It did not seem to be a way that would produce deliverance. And on that side of the events, it didn't make sense. And this is going to be the same way with you. There are going to be things that you are just not going to understand on that side, whatever, before an event happens. And after something happens in your life, it's going to become radically different in understanding. And that's going to happen with us. And the, the pivotal thing for them was the resurrection. For us, it's either going to be when we die and go to glory or the Lord Jesus comes again. We're going to have a radically different perspective on what's going on. And until then, we are going to have to keep walking by faith. And Jesus makes no apologies about them having to walk by faith. We have to walk believing that Jesus is telling us the truth. But the other part of this is that it says very clearly that it was hidden from them. We've all hidden things, play hiding games with our kids, I'm going to hide this, Easter egg, hide this, whatever. You're intentionally putting something in a place where somebody can't see it. So why would Jesus hide this truth from them? Why would he not open this to them? So what is pointing at here is that their understanding of these things is not just about a logical understanding of things, but it also has to do with spiritual discernment, and that God hides or reveals things according to his will and his timing. God has no duty to disclose all of himself to us whenever we want to hear about it. He will disclose himself or reveal himself to us according to his will and according to his timing. And even in that, those things will be spiritually discerned. And so you say, Pastor Vic, what in the world are you talking about? Spiritual discernment. Well, I'm going to read a passage from you that is, that is very lengthy in talking about this. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 13. Paul starts writing about this. This is all over the place in the Bible, but I think it's the most focused right here. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, 
although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Verse 7, but we impart a secret or hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He gives a very basic uh, example of this. If they If the Romans, if Pontius Pilate had understood who Jesus was, he would never have crucified him. But he did not understand who Jesus was. Even though Jesus was standing right in front of him and said all that he had said, he did not understand it because it was hidden from him and it was kept from him and it was not given to him to understand who Jesus was. And so they went and they crucified Jesus and in doing so accomplished the will of God. Verse nine, but as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So he kind of flips it from a negative thing to a positive thing. That no matter how much you imagine, no matter how much you seek with your mind to understand what God has for you, those that God loves, those that have come to salvation in Christ, what he has prepared for us is beyond imagination. The goodness of it, the beauty of it, the kindness of it, the joy of it is beyond anything that you can ever imagine. And until it is revealed to you and the door is opened, you will not understand it. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. This points to the day of Pentecost and the shift in the church, the shift in the work of God in the world where he pours out his Holy Spirit after the ascension of Christ to indwell the hearts of those who believe and love him. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is vital. In John 14 and 15, you can go take a look at it this afternoon, he talks about the the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit to us and that part of the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit to us relates to spiritual discernment and understanding spiritual things. That the Holy Spirit is an illuminator. He shines light in dark places. He is a teacher. He is a reminder. And we understand what this means. If you are in complete darkness, you cannot perceive something. Someone has to shine light on it. And so it is as if the things of God are in darkness and the Holy Spirit shines light upon these things or illuminates them so that you can see them. It says that the Holy Spirit is a teacher to us. Every one of you have had good teachers and those teachers helped you to understand something that you did not understand before. And without that teacher, you would not have understood that thing. It's not, you could not just dove into it. I think of some of my boys taking this higher level math. Like I look at it and I'm like, I I have no idea what you're doing. And they didn't just stumble into this. They had a teacher instruct them. And through that instruction, they were able to do something that was incomprehensible before. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. We read God's word. We don't see anything in it. It seems like foolishness and darkness to us. And then the Holy Spirit illumines it and begins to teach us. And what was not understood begins to be understood. And then it says also that the Holy Spirit is a reminder 
Our minds are like sieves, and so much stuff goes in, and it just falls right out the bottom. And we need to be reminded of things over and over, things that we forgot, things that we studied and learned at one time and now have forgotten, the Holy Spirit brings back to us. And he'll take a series of things that you have studied and bring them all back to mind so that then you can make a little more progress and learn one more thing. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us in relationship to understanding who God is. We cannot see in the dark. We cannot understand without a teacher. We cannot discern the things of God or the will of God apart from the Spirit of God. Let me say that one more time. We cannot discern the things of God or the will of God apart from the Spirit of God. And so the third thing that I would say about these disciples and their not being able to understand at this point in time that which had not been revealed, that which had been hidden from them, is that they did understand these things when they were revealed. If you flip forward a series of chapters to chapter 24 in Luke, after the death and after the resurrection of Jesus, you have these two disciples walking down the Emmaus Road. And it's an awesome passage. They're all downcast and sad and everything they had hoped for for years had just fallen to pieces. And here comes this unknown person walking down the road with them and says, hey guys, what's going on? Are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard that Jesus died? And I'm sorry, and that he has not at that point uh, been revealed to them in the resurrection. So they still think he's dead. Excuse me, I got the timeline off. Are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard that Jesus died? And all that we had hoped for has not come to pass. And he's just in complete confusion. And just like we said here earlier that Jesus says everything that the prophets had said is going to be fulfilled, this mystery man walking with him says, let me tell you, let's start from Moses and the prophets and explain all that God is doing through the Messiah. And so Jesus himself starts talking to them, the risen Jesus, about what was going on with him and how it is that the Messiah would, would save his people. And they get to the house and they beg Jesus to stay with them. They still don't know who he is, but the key is Luke twenty four thirty one. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he was taken from their sight. And so they did not understand. It says, Did, didn't our hearts burn within us as he was talking? They knew that there was something going on here that was incredible, but they didn't understand it until Jesus made himself known to them. And so it is that we press in, and I want to give you five things related to spiritual discernment and understanding God that I think are very important. Because if we recognize this and accept this, that we cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. We need to not be seeking God in our own strength and our own knowledge. We need to be doing something different than what we normally pursue knowledge by in order to understand God. So these five things, here we go. The first is to believe in Jesus Christ, okay? We talked a little bit earlier about the disciples. They didn't know everything about Jesus, but they knew enough to believe in him. When you leave this service today, you're going to know enough to believe in Jesus as your Savior. You're going to have just enough, just that kernel of truth that Jesus died for you because you are a sinner. And if you confess your sins to Jesus, he will forgive your sins because he is merciful and kind. And when you have forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ is imparted to you that you might have eternal life. In Hebrews 11:6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if you draw near to God and you don't believe that he exists, you have not made it to 
the first step yet. The first step is believing in Jesus Christ and believing that God exists. If you are to have any spiritual discernment of who God is, you must believe that he exists. That's number one. Second, after you believe that Jesus exists, you must study the Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. It is his revelation given to us over time through inspired books written by many authors, but all guided along by the Holy Spirit. Studying the Bible is absolutely and completely essential to understanding who God is. And you might say, Pastor Vic, uh, the Bible is so boring. I have tried to read the Bible, and it just, I, it doesn't make any sense to me, and it's just, I, I can't get into it. Like, it just doesn't do it for me. So I enjoy listening to you or whatever, other preachers, but I don't enjoy reading the Bible. Well, the first thing I would say to you is that the Bible was not written for your entertainment, Okay. The Bible was not, we live in an entertainment culture, and people, when they say that, they're saying the Bible is not entertaining to me. The Bible was not written for your entertainment. What was the Bible written for? It was written that you might know who God is, and that you might know the truth about the world. And the Bible will become captivating to you when instead of wanting to be entertained, you want to know who God is. And when you say, I am I'm I want to know who God is. I want to know the truth of the world. I want to know what is real. I'm tired of being lied to, and I want to know what's really going on. And that is when the Bible will become incredible to you. And you will not be able to put it down because you will keep seeing there who God is as he reveals himself. We must believe God. Second, we must study the Bible. Third, the steps of spiritual discernment and spiritual understanding is that three, we must actively seek the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. We cannot take that for granted. We must actively seek it. So when we are actively seeking the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what we are doing is we are actively saying, I by myself and my own smartness cannot understand God. If I am not helped by the Holy Spirit, I will not understand these things. And so this is prayer. This is literally, as you open the scriptures, before you open the scriptures, as you're memorizing scripture and meditating on scripture, you say, God, help me. Send your Holy Spirit to help me understand these things. Shine the light of your spirit upon these things. Remind me of what I have forgotten. Help me to understand what I do not uh, know. Give me clarity. And you are seeking then and opening your heart to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. This is very important. Fourth is that we must believe and obey. Because what's going to happen if you believe in Christ as your Savior and you start opening the Scriptures and you start hungrily seeking after who God is and you're praying, God, help me to understand the Scriptures, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start understanding the Scriptures. And you're going to start seeing things you never saw there before. And you're going to start to see how much of a mess you are and how far off you are in your understanding of God, and it's going to require change in your life. So the fourth step is to believe and obey what you find there. The disciples were constantly pressed like that. New things would happen. They would understand more about Jesus, and they had to believe more, obey more, change more. And you can stop at some point and say, I'm not, ah, this, is, this is too far. Okay, I think I understand what's going on here, but this is asking too much of me, and I'm not going that far. And that is when your growth will stop. Because you understood something, and you, you see what's happening, but you refuse to obey it. And so if you want to keep making progress in understanding who God is and in spiritual discernment, you must keep obeying and believing what you learn in the Scriptures. 
one step of faith and obedience leads to the next step of faith and obedience. We are confronted by hard things. Change is needed. We must keep seeking. And that's the fifth and final thing. We must keep seeking after Christ. So we believe, we start reading the scriptures, we're seeking the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're obeying and believing what we learn there, and then we don't stop seeking. The, the disciples kept seeking after Jesus. They held on to their questions that they didn't understand for the future. When Jesus said all this to them, and they looked at each other after Jesus was gone, like, does anybody understand what he is talking about? No, I, I, none of us, I have no idea. I cannot understand what he is talking about here. All right, well, let's just believe and keep going. And all right, let's do that. Let's keep, I'm gonna believe and let's keep going. And that's what you have to do. Because there are things that I understand now as a father and in middle age that I did not understand as a college student. There are things that in college I didn't understand as a high schooler, and there are things in high school I didn't understand as a child. And there are things that I will understand in my older age that I don't understand now. And so you have to keep seeking and keep holding on and keep walking by faith. Well, our time is up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up holding. Uh, I don't want to rush the, the situation with the beggar. So we are, we are going to have one more week in Luke. I'll do, that, uh, I'll do that next time we're together because it's a beautiful passage, and I don't want uh, to rush past it. But this is a, a very important thing. I'll close with this. I went to uh, Appalachian State University, and I, I first started formal religious studies in the religious studies department there at App State. And as far as I could tell, there was only one professor in the whole department that actually believed that Jesus was Lord. Uh, Dr. Duke, good man. I learned a lot from him. But I, I think I actually learned more from the other professors as far as a this is what not to do because sometimes learning what not to do is very valuable. And I saw these men, and I saw how these guys had spent many, many years of their life studying the Bible and Christianity as just an ancient thing, like Roman culture, you know, old Palestinian culture, whatever. It, it had no life to them. They had no joy. They had no deliverance or forgiveness from their sins. They lived the same sad life as everybody else in every other department in that school that did not believe in Jesus, and they had spent their whole life studying the Bible. That's unimaginable to me. They had no spiritual discernment. What we're talking about here is spiritual discernment. They didn't believe anything that was in it, and they sought not the Holy Spirit, and they did not believe that Jesus was the Savior, and yet their whole life was devoted to teaching people the Bible. That's just astonishing but don't think that that can't happen to you that you were raised in a christian home the bible's been in front of you your whole life you think you've got it you understand the basics you know what's going on but you don't believe any of it and you don't understand any of it and you don't obey any of it that is not transformative you have not found life in christ jesus and so I urge you this morning, hear what we're saying, hear what is happening here. Be a person of spiritual discernment. Keep seeking after the Lord. Believe and don't stop. If you have never put your faith in Christ the first time, do it today. There is an urgency. That's what we're going to see next week with this, this man who has Jesus passing him by. And he keeps calling out, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. Because he knows if Jesus walks by and he doesn't stop, everything is lost for him. Because Jesus is the Savior. So let's pray together this morning. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful morning and for this time together. Uh, I thank you for your work in our midst. And I thank you that you are true and you are righteous. And that you did, in fact, 
obey all the way to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. And that you died, that you were spat upon, flogged, crucified, and then most importantly, you rose from dead, run the dead on the third day, and that you were witnessed by many, and you have ascended into heaven, and that you live now, that your life might be given to us. You were the firstborn from the dead, as the scriptures say, that many more might live from your life. And so, Father, I pray today, let us keep seeking after you, things that we do not understand, things that are hidden. Let us keep pressing into your word. Let us obey what we understand, and let us live for Jesus this week. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.